0: The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised.
1: They'll say, well, I'm not interested in sitting and watching a film where a guy in a hockey mask soars up teenagers, but that guy is, and frankly, that's weird. There's something wrong with that guy because I, I don't have the urge to watch that, and he does and it's probably because he's dysfunctional or dangerous if you say the real life
0: Hello Rescuers, my name is Che Webster and this is Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about rediscovering our lost roleplaying hobby. Today you'll be listening to the third and final interesting conversation that arose during the summer break. This one is on the topic of fear and my guest is, of course, none other than Peter Laws. For those not in the know, Peter Laws is an ordained minister with a fascination for the macabre, an author, journalist, film critic, public speaker and regular writer for Fortean Times. He is the creator of the Matt Hunter novel series and the host of the Creepy Cove Community Church podcast, an immersive horror themed church service broadcast from the mysterious fishing town of Creepy Cove. Besides from horror, Peter is said to hail from somewhere down south, and enjoys retro TV and Krispy Kreme donuts. This is season nine, episode sixteen, talking fear with Peter Laws. Rescue. So, welcome to the show, Peter. Uh, thanks for joining us.
1: It's uh, it's great to be back. Uh, I always like coming on this show because we explore some great ideas. You're, you, you asked some great questions. And um, yeah, it's nice to be uh, back with you again. Thanks for having me. You're too
0: kind. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to talk about the, the value of invoking fear and threat in stories and entertainment generally. And obviously uh, Roleplay Rescue being about gaming, role playing gaming as well. There's a really good tie in here. The horror genre is huge within mm. the hobby as well. So um, I know that's kind of a very broad thing, but I thought that would be a general theme for us to explore. Yeah, sounds good. So I kind—I of, think the basic question is: Why do some people seem to actively seek out and indeed enjoy, you know, invoking fear and a sense of threat, and why do some people avoid it like the plague?
1: Well, yeah, and I think it's—it's it's good to to point out right at the start that there are two distinctions: that there are people who enjoy it and those people who don't, mm. and so at the very start of a discussion about this, there has to be a recognition that not everybody thinks the way you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's very easy, I think, for some people who are on one side or the other who will say, let's, for example, say if you're really into extreme horror, let's say, or you're quite happy to throw in very shocking images in gaming or in, uh, in films or, or novels, that you know you might you might really look at the people on the other side who don't like that and and see them as like what's wrong with you you wuss you know like just just grow up or like you know just this is this is part of life it's it's not real just deal with it whereas the people on the other side of that will potentially look at the other people and think like what is wrong with you <laughs> like why are you making light of these massively serious subjects that are you know, it might not be true in the game, but it's it's reflecting reality. You know, it's kind of mm. it's got echoes of, of real trauma and pain. So I think, yeah, at the very start of a discussion like this, um, you, you have to you have to go in being willing to see things from the other point of view, as well as having your own point of view. Mm. Um, for me, I think uh, my my point of view on this topic has maybe changed ever so slightly in the sense that I I tended to have been always the type who just is just goes for everything and really happy to see the most extreme stuff, or I don't have any, you know, like really quite enjoying um, really morbid stuff. And I still do, but I think even since I was on this show last, I think I've had some experiences that have made me recognize that those people who don't like that, that, they're not just, you know, it, there's, there's good reasons. And there's, there's good reasons for me to be thoughtful and mm. cautious about not just sort of putting something really shocking in their faces. So, yeah. I, so I think right at the beginning, you kind of want to accept when it comes to this topic, uh, there are, there are kind of two different sides and mm. each side, they do have logic to, to each side, I think.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, for me, it's a mixed bag because, I'm not a massive horror fan, so I guess it's good that we can have this conversation. Um, I'm married to Deb, who is as you know, yeah. um, but yeah. it, it's really interesting about like where I do intersect with this kind of stuff. I guess talking from my own experience, you know, I love the horror films that uh, tread around the strange, the supernatural, yeah, uh, you know, apparitions, ghosts, and all that kind of stuff right up my alley. Mm. Um, I'm happy with demons. I'm, (laughs) you know, I'm I'm cool with mummies. I'm happy with the occult witchcraft, even Satanism, I will admit. Yes, Uh, yeah. You know, uh, spirit boards, Ouija boards, all those kinds of, uh, those those kind of invocating, Mm -hmm. all those kind of ideas. No problem really with snakes and rats. I know some people were freaked out by that sort of stuff. Um, But body horror, Mm. so, Ah. you know, the closest comfort I got to with that is probably John Carpenter's The Thing which I, I was at 1982 or something but yes that yeah. really put me on edge I mean a great film and I did enjoy it but it yeah. was the edge and over the edge for me was seven which I vowed never to watch ever again ah.
1: and was that um, was that because of the the whole film or like how it ended or was it like combination I, I think every single scene
0: <laughs> of that film oh. pretty much put me on edge and by the end I was like I don't know. I, I actually can't remember the film very well. I think my mm-hmm. brain has kind of gone, reject. Um, yeah. But I, th- I found it interesting because, you know, recently I've been revisiting horror and Deb has been yeah. showing me films I hadn't seen. And um, that's been interesting as an experience. Mm. And again, reflects back to this thing of why are we seeking this? You know, what is it that you know, some people love and some people just really cringe from?
1: Yeah, because, I mean, that you make a good point there because you remind... You're reminding me that, yeah, as well as having these kind of two sides, Mm. let's say, of like, I I love the the scary stuff and I'd rather not have it. Mm. There's also these nuances in between. There's like spectrums of, uh, yeah, so like you talking about not liking certain things, but being Mm. open to others. I know other people, for example, my wife is quite happy to watch a film which has got a serial killer and is maybe Mm. gory and violent, um, but she would struggle watching like the amateurville horror or the exorcist mm. or something. So yeah, 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 you're right. There are certain, certain kind of bespoke buttons that we have that touch on things, um, which is, which is another reason to kind of respect the other person. You know, if say you might be doing something with another person, you're go, Oh my word, they've got a problem with that. Like, mm. <laughs> that's not a big deal. And you don't know what that's touching on it. You know, like I bet, you know, with your your struggles with body horror. Um, I don't want to get all armchair psychologist on you, but there may be reasons for that. You know, there may be kind of deeper reasons why, why you, you find that weird or unpleasant. And, and so you respect that. But yeah, but in the midst of all this, you know, like the idea of why, um, let's say the first group would be quite happy mm-hmm. to dive into the discomfort of it all. Um, I think there's there's various reasons. Um, I mean, firstly, it's just um, it is just plain fun for for those people, and it is for me. Um, it's almost like I don't know. There's there's something attractive in things that are unattractive, which is quite a it was quite quite strange. But it's the same principle of imagine if you're with a friend. And, you know, they're eating their packed lunch and they open it up and they go and they like go, oh, that, something's gone wrong with this food. It absolutely stinks. And they clamp the stuff down and they will say to you, that's the worst smell I've ever smelled in my life. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. I think a lot of people, including myself, would say, Pass it over here, I want to smell that you know? <laughs> and, it, and i don't know it's 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 curiosity it's interesting it's fun mm. um it's a new challenge it's a safe challenge ultimately um mm. so there's something kind of attractive about things that are unattractive because it's just novel and it's it's it sparks our curiosity i have this um this can sound really weird right but i i am i'm some, when it comes to let's say people who I find attractive so i'm um I'm heterosexual. So I'm, you know, attracted to women, uh, not every woman, but you know, si- si- some women. And sometimes I find myself, I, I am more interested in, in looking at the people I don't find attractive. Cause I just find that interesting. Mm-hmm. So I might see someone, and I'll go, I, I'm really, that's, she's not my type and i'm like how interesting i wonder why she's not my type and i'm like just looking at these people just trying to work it out cuz i just find it fascinating so some people are weird like that but mm. the point is you know people it's not it's not weird to be interested in the novel because the brain is is wired for novelty it's it's we survive i think evolutionarily speaking mm. evolutionarily speaking because we are looking out for the thing that doesn't fit um, because that could be a threat. So if you go to the um, to see a, a stand-up comedian, let's say, and a and a and a piglet comes walking on the stage, your brain is probably gonna go like, "Whoa! Forget the story! Like, look at the piglet!" because <laughs> that's that's out of place. Um, and so for me, particularly in this the work I do with like the world of the morbid, and my book, *The Frighteners*, which was trying to defend the morbid streak. Was kind of making the point that we live in a world where we don't have a great deal of morbid stuff on our doorstep for real. Mm. Um, We tend to, thankfully, depending on where we live, but most of us don't have daily experiences of actual um, death and horror. Mm. Going through a pandemic, you know, actually that is a bit different because it brings those things closer to home. But, but a lot of us, you know, don't see like say real violence Mm. in, in, with our own eyes. Um, And so that's actually quite novel. So when that comes up in stories or in films or indeed in games, our brains go, "Ah, oh, you should probably pay attention to this." So I, th- I think there is a logic uh, to being attracted to that. We might even mm-hmm. find it instructional. Some of this stuff I've talked about this sort of thing before about zombies and one of the reasons why zombie apocalypse scenarios are so popular still. In a way, I you know I've, I'm a long-term horror fan, and I, I thought zombies would have been gone by by now but Mm. they just well (laughs) they don't seem to die but but they really don't you know they just keep on coming and you at some point they'll probably die out you know culturally speaking but they keep coming and one of the reasons is not just because it's cheaper to make zombie films than werewolf films it is of course because you have to pay for a transformation sequence in a werewolf Mm. film way easier to make someone look like a zombie so there's some practical reasons why zombie films keep getting made because they're cheaper to make but also they 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 speak into i think a kind of um a worry Mm. with modern people that maybe we're not prepared for an apocalyptic scenario like maybe we would be in trouble you know, if uh, like you saw what happened with um, the Suez Canal uh, earlier this year with the ever given ship and it just sort of goes skew if and holds up a bunch of ships and then it actually starts affecting the world very quickly mm. in terms of deliveries and stuff. And I think we're conscious about the fact that the World Health Organization said something like, the, We're nine meals away from anarchy. Mm. And um, once your family have not eaten for nine meals, they're going to start turning on their neighbors and stealing food and stuff. This, I think, plays on our mind a bit. And so stories and things that are about conflict and fighting and um, particularly the zombie apocalypse, which is survival, Mm. security, protecting yourself and all that, they're they're attractive. So there's, there's various reasons, I think, why people would be drawn to subjects, which in a way you'd think, well, that's not very nice, but they're interesting, they're novel, and they could even be instructional. That's some reasons.
0: Mm. it's fascinating to me i mean we have lived through um 18 months two years now of global pandemic where we have seen the fragility of our society laid yeah. bare. let's be honest um and yet as i understand it watching horror films numbers are up on netflix and amazon prime mm-hmm. and, and all those kind of places and you sort of wonder in the heart of that when we're locked in our homes and can't go out we want to watch zombie films, slasher flicks and <laughs> you know uh murders basically
1: yeah but also ironically disease movies <laughs> you know like so uh, when when covid hit at the beginning the the top films on netflix were things like uh, contagion um the kate mm-hmm. winslet film it was a really really good realistic sort of film about a pandemic which turns out to be kind of like a documentary (laughs) of what's been (laughs) happening um and yeah and again and this is one of the other reasons which i didn't mention before but another reason you could add to the pile of why people would be drawn is i mean these these subjects are relevant you know suffering um you're talking about body horror body horror i i find body horror scary in the sense that it It talks about the rebellion of your own physical body that's a scary Mm. thing particularly when you get older i think you know i'm 46 i'm of an age when i'm conscious that like you know my body is changing and um i'm finally going through puberty no i'm only kidding (laughs) no like but it's it's you know i had to get glasses earlier this year the first time i've ever had glasses and i was thinking oh that actually was was a big deal for me because i thought oh my word that was so my Ah, oh, my eyes are deteriorating. That's kind of scary, and therefore other things will deteriorate. So, um, some people would therefore say that's such a scary thing. I don't want to think about that. Other people would say that's scary, but um, but I I I will. I don't feel comfortable acting as if it's not in the world and pretending it doesn't exist with my head in the sand. So I want to address it in a way that I can handle. And this is where entertainment and games come in because mm. that's when you can say, look, I, I don't want to get, I get my head around this pandemic too much. I don't want to go to the hospital and actually witness people dying of COVID. That's that's way too traumatic, but I'm, I don't want to act as if it doesn't exist. So I'm willing to let these dark themes come into my entertainment because of course, entertainment is much more than just entertainment. It's art. It's like reflection. It's mm. um, trying to understand what we're going through. So These things all have functions and um, to think that art and and entertainment would not explore things that are so relevant to us like death and suffering, violence and whatnot, is kind of absurd, I think. I think it's normal for people to, well, it is normal because we've been doing it for centuries and still are.
0: I'm interested as well in the rise that we've had in our society of talking about the desire for a trigger warning. Or, as it is in gaming, uh, the X card, which is um, mm. something, that, a tool that is placed on the gaming table. And if someone's uncomfortable, it, it's a piece of cardboard with an X on it, you, yep. you tap it or point to it. And then play stops. My favorite invocation, actually, of this particular thing, um, which you won't know, but I'll just tell you, is from a children's game. Uh, right. No Thank You Evil by Montecute Games. Montecute Games having championed the whole kind of consenting gaming um, mm. thing of the last couple of years. No, thank you. Evil literally has the rule, which is the no, thank you, evil. When you say no, thank you, evil, uh, in the game, you stop the game dead, and that we 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 stop what we're doing in scene, whatever's happening, and we have a conversation about okay, what's what's uncomfortable, and then we can edit that from our game experience, and then we can move forward. Oh, okay, um, but it's interesting that it's it's a game design. I mean, obviously for our older children, uh, you know, like my age, um, but also <laughs> right the way down to you know into primary really talking sort of five six seven year old children and yeah. up it's real fantasy kind of um in different genres it's got yes. a fantasy genre it's got a science fiction genre it's got a horror genre bit mm. to go to um and yet you have this kind of you know no thank you evil that's enough for me or the x card i'm just going to stop here yeah it's connected to this trigger warning or the warnings we see on every film and every tv at the top you know contain yes. x y or z mm. um but I remember growing up in the world of the 70s uh, where yeah. I was, I think, probably scarred for life. I think that is the title of the book, isn't it? Um, yes. By, <laughs> by things that came with no warning. I'm thinking about building sites bites and I'm thinking about mm. the kids drowning in the pool. Oh, Earth. yes. Dark and, and lonely water. There we go. And yeah. all that stuff. So what's changed is what I'm curious
1: about. Well... Um- before before we go into that just a, an interesting thing about those those childhood um particularly in the 70s and all this sort of mm-hmm. hauntology type stuff the idea of uh the kind of the haunted generation and uh, people perhaps of our age who um who were traumatized by many things on tv i know i have got plenty of experiences of, of mm-hmm. things i could point back to and say i can't believe they showed that and, that, and that's that that traumatized me but the irony is um that uh when you look at people who are this age now, they look back at those things with with great love and affection. So, um, there was a there was a, a, a vote in, to amongst um, adults to say like, what was your favourite? public information film and um, at the top uh, I think Charlie says was at the top, which was the one about a cat saying, you know, don't talk to strangers. And it was really creepy Mm -hmm. about, you know, like weird pervs and stuff, asking you to get in their van, you know, not the sort of stuff you're like, Oh, can you remember yesteryear when we learned about pedophiles? You know, it was scary, you know, scary stuff and dark and lonely water as well as in, I'm sure that was in the top five. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet now, you go, you look back at the scare experiences and you actually think that that was that was important somehow, or that meant something to me. And mm. I think that's one of the things that's worth saying about these scary experiences is that um, they're not just about what happens at the time, they can be scary and frightening, mm. but they can end up becoming well, it can be very useful because they can teach you to be careful. Fairy tales, for example, there's um, there's talk of. Some parents wanting to defang the fairy tales and not um, mm. and not include the really dark sides of them. And yet actually you know the fairy tales have a good function in precisely because they're scary because they teach children not to trust everybody. Mm. And so even though like you know I'm sure as we as we go on and talk i'll I'll, I'll share this, but even though I, I am very respectful of the trigger warning system and I mm. think it is wise to, recognize that some things really are disturbing, particularly people who are suffering from mental health issues that actually some things can make them spiral into, into, into a pit of despair. And you think, well, is it, is it worth it? it, Shouldn't I let them know? So that's all very sensible. But at the same time, the other scenario is, well, are we trying to create a culture in which we are never exposed to disturbing things, or we are given the option and then we opt out of disturbing things and we never get to experience that. And um, there are actually some positives and negatives to that, not least with children, let's say children who say, look, mommy, I don't want anything scary. Just read The Gruffalo to me every night or just read The Hungry Caterpillar, as lovely as those stories are, but you kind of need some stories that say, there's a child catcher who may murder you. <laughs> as scary as those are, they are teaching children um don't trust everybody be careful mm. there is actual danger out there so it's it's a tough balancing act i i agree definitely it yeah it's fascinating to me
0: back um, around about 2002 2003 i think it was um there was a game designer and uh, called Ron Edwards, who talked a lot about lines in gaming and coming from a sort of talk about the stories and narratives. And what he was talking about is the lines that people have. Uh, some people don't want to cross. Yeah. and yet many people and he was encouraging people to steadily slowly and, and with little steps but cross those lines but the first question of course is what are the lines that you have you know what are the boundaries if you like of you of your experience that you're usually prepared to function within and then you know using the the medium of role-playing games where we enter into a, a fictional character's mind and we try to take on the role of a fictional character and we you know, completely fictional situations we then explore what it would be like what it would feel like what it might what we might choose to do you know what the consequences of those choices would be he was encouraging this sort of idea of like just push that you know and see what happens what do you Mm. make of that
1: well i i mean i as as a person who's on the side which is well i don't want to say sides in the sense of like it's Mm. a war i I want to mean just like i'm the type of person who does enjoy scary things Mm. let's put it that way um and so i i do like the idea of um of going beyond the line but that's mm. because i find that usually entertaining or exciting or interesting mm. I, I i must admit i do have some some personal lines but not many so um mm. for example i i I, do, I remember when i was uh before I had children, I used to get really annoyed that more kids weren't killed in films because I used to feel it was a cop-out. I'd be like, this is, ah. you know, you'd watch a film and some kid would go missing. This was like in the olden days. And I would think, mm. well, I'm not even worried because the kid's going to be fine. They you know they always survive. Yeah. Or if they find the, the, the kid's body, when they lift the sheet up, you're not going to, you're not going to see a dead kid. So I'm not, I'm not worried about seeing the shot of a dead body. Um, and I, was, I used to think that that, that was a cop-out, you know? I was like, if this is horror, just like get in there and show us horror, shock us. But then um, I had children myself, and I don't think you have to have children to empathize with this at all, but it, this is what changed for me is when I had children, I remember um, my wife and I rented a film called Gone Baby Gone on the day that we brought our baby back from the uh, hospital. And we were still in our mindset of like, oh, let's just watch a thriller. It's a Ben Affleck thing. Oh, it's about a kid going missing or something. <laughs> cool. All right. Just, we just saw it as a pure thriller. And then mm. I don't I don't know what had happened, but well, we had a baby, I suppose. But like we were watching this, and both of us says, I don't know if I can watch this. And I was like, This is so weird. Like my mm. my line right then had gone. Yeah. Um, and I was like. Oh, sorry, it solidified, I should say. And I was like, I, I I'm not I don't I feel weird. Like I've got a kid upstairs and I'm watching a film about a kid being like kidnapped and tortured or whatever. I can't remember. Mm. So the lines can can um can change, but but having said that, I still am the sort of person who mostly I I I quite like things that are willing to take a step over. And occasionally i get shocked at things. There's a, And there's films like, there's a film called Kill List, which mm-hmm. um, I don't, I'm not saying it should be banned at all. I'm, I, what I'm saying is I watched that and I felt very uncomfortable. I was like, I don't know if I want to watch this. There's something about the violence in that. Or there's mm-hmm. films like um, uh, I Spit on Your Grave, for example, which I think is it's like a rape revenge film, which I actually think is quite a good feminist film message that you know women uh can can take control you know and respond to the horrible men in their lives but w- me sitting at home like watching scenes of like brutal rape is not really my type of <laughs> do you know what i mean there are, I'm, but i'm not saying that's a line that therefore that should never be depicted in art because it's a reality and it should be addressed in some way but but not in a way that's kind of frivolous or titillating um so there are certain things that i'm just not particularly into like sexualized violence just Makes me feel uncomfortable, mm. but but a lot of other things I'm you know I'm I'm quite open to, and sometimes people get shocked at that because I'm a a Christian and ordained as a minister as well, they'll assume my lines are really really low, so mm. you know I could be out with people and they'll say they'll swear and say oh, I'm sorry I I shouldn't have said that or or like oh you wouldn't like that or um oh well that was an 18 you wouldn't have watched that and I was like wow you got no clue <laughs> you got no idea mm-hmm. what I've watched um so yeah there are there are lines and different people have lines and there there is something about push, pushing beyond the line which i i think ca- can actually help us to deal with some of the things you know, if if you've put a line there it means that it's it's there's something significant about that issue mm and it's up to you you shouldn't be forced into going beyond the line but going beyond that line may be a way of learning courage in the face of that issue possibly
0: i think as well it's about who you're sharing that experience with as well um i know that uh, in a simple sentence for example if i'm watching um a film that's going to put me into a vulnerable state of mind yeah um I mean, let's think about um, some of the things we haven't really touched on that c- can come up. That well. I get really uncomfortable with cancer in a film in, in when it's yeah. depicted graphically, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a fear that I guess I have I picked up from when I was younger. Now, yes. if I'm doing that with you know deb and my wife is in the room and we're watching together and we're kind of cuddled up and there's a film and it's that and mm. i get uncomfortable that's a very different experience than when i'm hanging around with a bunch of buddies i'm supposed to be like very you know comfortable with uh, yes. or even so different from being in the auditorium with a bunch of strangers to me mm. um and that's on that level now when it comes to like role-playing games where this is friends meet or potentially friends meeting you know around a, a table or whatever to to actually have this narrative gaming experience again it's even more personal i think um so maybe it does matter like not just what the topic is but who we're discussing it with or who we're experiencing it with
1: yeah i I think you're you're probably right and um it'd be interesting to see so just you know the three scenarios you described there of being with your wife in a kind of Mm -hmm. intimate position of watching a film let's say that has these topics and then with Mm -hmm. friends like which which one of those do you feel the most vulnerable in the face of this topic?
0: So for me, I would feel more. I would allow the vulnerability would surface with my wife.
1: Yes, yeah, I, th- I thought you might say that. Yeah,
0: but I, actually, I may well be really not wanting to be uh, in that experience. I would feel uncomfortable. I wouldn't be able to express that discomfort as easily with yeah. uh, you know with strangers, for example. And yes. I wonder if that matters.
1: Yeah, I think it does, and I, and I think this come this leads us to what I think is one of the core issues about this whole topic, mm-hmm. which is, it's, it's to do with, with having distance between us and the topic and mm-hmm. having um, the right amount of distance. Because um, I think for me, this is the thing that it kind of ex- explains it. And it's that um, for, basically there are some, there are some things that many of us feel fine with, and are happy to watch it, but it's when the distance between the topic and our reality gets shorter that's when mm-hmm. it becomes much more difficult. So, for example, um, the, the idea of uh, disease and watching a film with disease in it—you know, when you're with your friends and stuff—you might not be thinking that, uh, thinking about that topic in quite the same way as when you're with someone who you're willing to be vulnerable with. And you're willing to say, gosh, like we're growing old together and I'm, you know, I'm worried about this and my my bravado. I'm quite happy to put that to the side. Um, and so naturally, there's, there's less of a distance. And and it's the same thing with, I suppose, a good example would be like, it would be very easy, I think, for us to have. If someone announced at the West End they were going to start a a Titanic musical like a, you know maybe this one already but a musical theater extravaganza are all about the, the deaths of the Titan everyone who died on the titanic most people would be like yeah yeah, that, that seems reasonable you know um you know it's, it's a little bit weird but ti- they do titanic everything so that seems okay why because the distance of time has put the titanic tragedy into a box where we can handle it because it's it's far mm. enough away And because it's far enough away, it doesn't touch us in the same way as, let's say, if somebody now tonight says, let's pitch a musical theater show based on the current Taliban takeover of Afghanistan, (laughs) Pete would be like, too soon. You know, like, no, like that's a that's a live situation. People are dying now or people are facing torture now. Um, and enough time hasn't passed you see so we don't have the distance mm. and so because we don't have the distance we um, it 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 hurts us it's 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 much more painful than real now there would have been a time let's say after like soon after 911 where people were so shocked by that they could even barely make comedy anymore i watched a documentary about late show the, the history of the late show in america and different kind of late night talk shows and how in the in the days after 9-11 people were just like we, we, we don't even feel capable of making a show um, we, and they were even thinking we don't know if we would ever make a comedy show again that's how painful it was but in time uh, films like Cloverfield were made and mm-hmm. starting to address this issue and then films specifically about the Twin Towers and then just a few days ago I discovered that there's a 9-11 musical That's um, apparently based on one of the planes or something. And it's people singing about, well, I don't know what, but there would have been a time when if if you'd pitched a 9-11 musical on 9-12, people would have been like, how dare you? You're trivializing that, but actually time has passed and it's all about distance, you see. Mm. And so I think we can apply this to personal fears and sadnesses and stuff. So, you might find that if you're in a group of people, let's say you're playing a game and for some reason, someone, yeah, like, is is this going to be about disease? I'm not keen on that. Or another person says, oh, this is about like kidnapping or it's about Mm. um, domestic violence or rape or something, or it's got those sorts of themes. And they might be like, I I want to hold up my uh, no violent, uh, no evil card. Or I I, I don't, I'm not into this. Mm. And it would be very easy for you as a person sitting there going, just, it just it's just a game you know like your big wuss like just or hey you know i know it's not nice but use this to address your fears but it's easy to say that when you have distance between you and the topic mm. whereas there are some people who just they don't have that distance they may have experienced these things they may have um grew up with uh facing these issues you they might have never told you and why should they you know it might be their mm. private business but there may be reasons, or it just might be a top topic that touches a button for them.
0: Yeah, I think I think that point is a really important one, the idea of the touching the button. And I think yeah. that's perhaps where the X card idea has its truest value. Um, ha- having been a person who last year you know, went through a sort of a snowballing of anxieties and into depression, mm. um, knowing what those triggers were and what was going on, you know, with Pandemic and all things, um, but it's interesting to think that actually I could be at the table, and I'm I'm personally aware enough now to know that I'm probably not aware of all of my triggers, and therefore, yeah. you know, when you're sitting at the table, you might think to yourself, yeah, you know, I don't know, um, uh, a I don't know a, a scenario where there's a severe weather thing going on, and there's hurricanes mm-hmm. and tornadoes, and people are getting swept away and destroyed, and hom- homes are being destroyed, you know, and there's yeah. all that kind of stuff going on. It sounds all right to me. I've not actually experienced that probably okay but who knows you know and actually in the moment of play there could be something else that develops from that thematically or something that just Mm -hmm. touches you and to be able to say to your friends you know in a kind of calm way "Ooh, hang on a minute (laughs) um to me is is a it's a healthy thing to be able to do i think
1: yeah yeah i agree And, and it's it's a far more honest scenario in which you can say that it is i suppose a critic could come along um and I'm voicing the voice of a critic rather than saying what I think, but a a critic could come along and say, well, you know, if this had been the eighties, you would have just got on with it. Or, Mm -hmm. um, or, and, and maybe that approach, who knows, there might be a point to this may may had in itself kind of lessened the effect of it, you know, might, but, um, we can never know that. I think all we can know is like what it makes us feel like now Mm. and those things can really upset people or or send them on a bit of a kind of downward spiral and so i think you do do respect that and you also accept that um like you were saying earlier you 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 there doesn't have to be a logic to these triggers Mm. um like for example i like i don't i don't have claustrophobia um i'm i don't think i have it um i'm not aware that i've ever had it and yet like earlier this year i had i had a, a bit of a stressful experience it was quite a very stressful experience actually And um, I remember having, like, this This went on for a few weeks, this stressful thing. And after it, I um, was doing my podcast. And in my podcast, I do kind of strange news and bizarre things going on in the world. Mm. And somebody, a listener, sent me a story in, which before that month, I probably would have just thought, this is such a cool, dark, macabre story. Mm. But for some reason, it just really disturbed me like i shall i tell you this story it's not i I mean here's again it's 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 a claustrophobic story but um i guess so so to let people know what that is but it's it's very quick but it's all it was it was a news story about um a father and i think his son who was in spain and they were walking in in a city i think it was near barcelona and they saw a papier-mâché dinosaur which was part of an art installation And um, for some reason, they looked inside. And when they looked inside, they found a man. And a man, um, weeks earlier, had, um, I think he dropped his phone inside the dinosaur. And the phone had had fallen down the hollow leg of the dinosaur. And he had went in to try and retrieve the phone and fell head first and got trapped and died inside the hollow leg of the dinosaur. Now, previously to this stressful experience I had, I think i would have just said whoa that's so dark and it's horrible it's a real person but that's a kind of thing to tell around the campfire but while i was in the midst of a stressful time i just found that so distressing and i almost couldn't think of. i was like i'm oh crap i'm gonna have nightmares about that that's awful i hate it why did you tell me that Mm -hmm. i thought to this person who sent it in and um it's things like that that make me respect and understand those who may live their life in a perpetual, you know, state of the roller coaster of anxiety and depression. And um so I, I do you know what I mean, I want to respect those people by saying I don't want to just throw things in that might make not only might make them give them nightmares, but might unfortunately make them check out of a positive experience of play. Mm-hmm. You know? Like you know, you what do you do when you come together to play together, or you come together to to watch a movie together, or whatever? You want you want that camaraderie and that place, safe space, to say, "Hey, yeah, I'm with my friends, I'm doing cool stuff," and the thought that a topic could could suck you out of that. Mm. It's it's not just about the topic. It's about the fact you've been sucked out of that situation. Mm. Um, You may be beating yourself up and thinking, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just get on with it like everybody else? And it isolates you from your friends. So these are serious things and and they're unpredictable. There's not always a logic to them. I'm not fully sure why I was worried about a guy upside down and a dinosaur leg, (laughs) but it's probably to do with feeling trapped or something, you know, like pretty obvious. Mm. Um, And, and after that, I have started to be more respectful of people who, you know, yeah, who might might put their hands up and say, oh, do we have to do that? I'm not just going to say, yes. <laughs> I'm going to say, oh, yeah, do we have to do that? Can do try it a different way. It's
0: interesting. So far, we have made the assumption that there are a group of people who love this stuff and are curious about this stuff and want to explore the macabre and the dark, you know, Because it's intriguing in some way. And then there are a bunch of people who are essentially not comfortable with it. Essentially, we might say, um, anxious about it, afraid of it. That the fear is in itself the barrier. Is Mm. it possible that there's a group of people who are actually just disinterested in these things? That they're they're not affected by the horror and the fear? You know, a slasher flick is boring because... I don't know, it's just not of interest. Have you come
1: across those people? Yes, I have. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, I've come across quite a few of those people. And um, the author, Lind Hatcher, describes it helpfully, I think, where he says that, you know, some people have the spooky gene, he describes it, and some people don't. Um, I definitely have the spooky gene, um, but some people just don't. And by that, he means... You know, like you know, like if I if I'm sitting in a group and then some suddenly if people talk about football or whatever, I'd be like, okay, right, going along with it. But then if somebody says, you know, oh, did you did you ever see that film about the, the Conjuring film or something? Oh Oh, my friend's got a Ouija board. What do you think of that? And I'd be like, really, right? And I'm in the room, yeah, really interested because I'm fascinated by that sort of topic the people who don't have the spooky gene view these topics in a similar way as maybe I do with football, you know, it's Mm. like, well, it's not that bothered about them. Mm. And what's interesting though, is I can just look at football and say, Oh, well, I'm not that interested, but I don't have a problem with people being into it. But sadly, when it comes to these morbid topics, people who are just not that interested in this, this stuff, a lot of them, Can't just leave it at that. They'll say, say, well, I'm not interested in sitting watching a film where a guy in a hockey mask saws up teenagers. But that guy is, and frankly, that's weird. There's something wrong with that guy because I I don't have the urge to watch that, and he does. And it's probably because he's dysfunctional or dangerous. And so this is the irony, particularly when it comes in in, in the church scenarios where you get a lot of books – Um, in Christian circles who will sometimes say, you know, don't watch horror films. Don't, don't watch violent films. Don't play violent zombie um, video games or whatever. And sometimes you can tell the way the author talks about it. It's like, why would you want to anyway? You know, it's much more fun to go and see, you know, a comedy, or it's much more more rewarding Mm. to watch a drama. And you think you just don't get it. You know, mm. like so you're dismissing other people's interests because you're just not you're just not interested in it, mm. but you've added on top an explanation of why people are interested in it and it's and it's a negative one. Yeah. So it's um so yeah, I do think there are people in the middle who just aren't that bothered. And some of them that's fine, but some of them use that as an excuse to bash those who are.
0: I've recently recently been rereading Seth Godin's um, book. Seth Godin. Seth Godin, he's a marketeer, American mm-hmm. um, marketing expert and business person and okay. um, kind of social commentator, I suppose. Oh, yeah. And he's written a book called The Practice. Right. Um, now, in there, he talks about how with art, the creation of art, he's calling people really to, to go to the edges of whatever they're into and right, really push the edges of that you know mm-hmm. he talks a lot about like you can't get outside the box what you can do though is and get to the edge of the box and use it as leverage you know sort of like yeah. go to the go to the extreme of something within yes. your he talks about like with art for example in modern art um, you know what those artists were trying to do and he says you know many people don't get that art He goes, but the point is it wasn't meant for them it wasn't made for them. Yeah. It wasn't for them. And mm-hmm. it's okay that it wasn't for them. Um it yes. talks a lot about the difference between the sort of mass market middle um, of like general popularity mm-hmm. and actually how the fringes are where, you know, really the art is created all the time, you know, but at those fringes, it are people who are, well, by the judgment of the middle, a bit odd. Yes. But of course, what they're doing isn't, them and i've always seen personally i've always seen you know the macabre the horror and that sort of stuff and what i do in terms of fantasy and science fiction and gaming and role-playing and all that mm-hmm. as again out on that fringe um and yeah. when people are critical when i was at church and that people would say oh you play Dungeons and dragons you must be a devil worshiper might, <laughs> you know as a young person i was like what are you on about but now i yeah. sort of think well yeah you don't get it and it's because it's not really for you and and it's
1: sort of okay yeah yes no, you're right. And, and and the irony is, of course, as well, is that you know, when it comes to say culture, um what happens is the, the mainstream culture in the middle is doing their mm-hmm. thing and forgetting that probably what's popular in the mainstream was mm-hmm. discovered on the margins, on the fringes yeah. at one point and was new and, and and then the 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 fashion of culture pushes it out and then Um, And an example would be I watched a great documentary the other day about the Bee Gees and their kind of their historic sort of um, impact on on the music world and how they didn't used to be kind of disco and they weren't really known as a disco act. And yet they did Saturday Night Fever album. And then that became like the the biggest selling soundtrack and certainly was about the topic of disco. Mm -hmm. Um, But there was a, there was a time at the beginning of disco where it was kind of, It was kind of really fresh and new and everyone was listening to kind of easy listening stuff and there was this kind of music coming out i was like whoa what is this like really kind of repetitive and rhythmic and it sounds really interesting and then that became so popular that um it gradually took over everything and so disco became in the center of of culture and so you would get disco christmas carol albums or everything was disco and you know Every film would have a disco. Even the Amateurville Horror um, has a disco mix, you know, or it's Friday the 13th, part three has a disco mix. you know, Disco is everywhere. And all of a sudden it came in the middle. And then you've got these kind of more rock DJs saying, death to disco, you know, we shouldn't like this anymore. And they're burning disco albums. And it's just this cycle of like, what's in the middle goes to the outs. So what's on the outside goes to the middle, gets so popular mm. that that gets rejected. And it's just... A- and to me, it's just a case of saying, well, just, just like what you like. Mm. And there's no rule. Um, and so I got really annoyed at this uh, this this shot of um, in this documentary of this rock guy saying, death to disco, we shouldn't have, like, come and bring and burn your disco albums. Like, as if there should be rules into what you like. You should just like what you like. Mm. So I don't know how we got into disco from that, but... Um, <laughs> But yeah there's yeah, so there's these fringes and these um, mainstream things and, and and you're right sometimes horror is you could say it's on the fringe, but actually when you look at it, you know I think the principles of horror are often found in mainstream in the sense mm. that like the, the, the biggest um, most popular genre in books, particularly in the UK is crime fiction, for example, which normally revolves around a corpse or like graphic um, descriptions of death. Um, you watch most Disney films, which are pretty mainstream. There's usually a, a death of a parent in that, and some sort of scary mm. horror element. So I do think it's kind of threaded in. But yes, there are certain like out there horrors that end up on the outside, and then gradually become in the inn. When I was growing up, it was
0: it, one that stands in my mind is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, yes, yeah. which was banned um, and you mm. know seriously underground when i yeah. was a kid and yeah i think now um, is that pretty in the middle
1: i don't know well I, actually i mean i rewatched that um, not that long ago and it's still pretty brutal um you know i, I think uh, there are still moments in it which is just i think the nature in which that film is made it's so yeah. kind of down and dirty that there is something disturbing about it even though there's not a lot of blood yeah. in it um but no, you're right that there are certain things that you would have been like the video nasties, you know, you would have been mm. banned, uh, sorry, arrested for owning certain films that now when you would have watched them, they are so tame, particularly compared with mainstream TV shows like The Walking Dead or Game of Thrones, mm. which are way more graphic and would have landed people up in prison if they had been released in the early 1980s. So, um, But, I mean, the fact is, and going back to our topic, I suppose, Mm. is to say that um, culture is this big melting pot of ideas and it goes through these fashions and stuff. But human beings, even though we follow fashions, we still have the fundamental same hopes and fears. You know, we're scared Mm. of death or loss or loneliness, um, and we crave connection and security and understanding. And so our stories are always going to, I think, be a balance between those two things. And like we've been talking about before, it's like, it's just how do you balance those things? Mm. And so when it comes to things like trigger warnings and stuff like that, as important as they are, the other risk of it is to try and create a world in which we don't face mm. the bad and the darkness, which, um, which has its own dangers, I think. There's um, there's like if 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 you had say if you went to the doctors today and you were suffering from, they they get you to fill in questionnaires and stuff and they'll they'll come back and they'll they might say right okay well, <laughs> you know you've you've scored a certain amount we're going to put you on medication or something and that can sometimes be, really be helpful or they might say we're going to give you some sort of therapy and there's there's a couple of different types of therapy which I think indicate kind of what we're talking about. There's like cognitive behavioral therapy. I don't know lots about this by the way so if you know anything more correct me if I'm wrong and there's another one called um acceptance commitment therapy and they th- these two are slightly different as far as I know but i think in cognitive behavioral therapy you're kind of trying to identify negative and destructive thoughts and trying to kind of change them you know so basically that you know our stress doesn't come from the things we're worried about but how we are So like actual things, but it's coming from how we view them, Mm -hmm. you know, and and, and that makes sense because we can distort things and turn them negative. But in a sense, I don't know if that means that you've got to try and kind of think your way out of what is essentially sometimes a wild west of emotion because you just don't Mm -hmm. know what's going to trip you or or cause you Mm -hmm. issues. Whereas this other thing called ACT, which I read about, acceptance commitment therapy, was basically saying that you you must be willing to accept that pain and discomfort are a part of life, and you must learn to almost live live with them and allow them to live in your house, as it were. And I think um, the phrase is being psychologically flexible. Mm. So, I heard an example. Uh, kind of image described of this is like imagine imagine the stressful things in your life or the things that trigger you or scary things as like a monster who lives in your house and probably like think of it like monsters inc like a cute monster uh, rather than like the babadook or something <laughs> i'm a bit too scary but you know like imagine like a little cute monster or something and every day you get up and you don't know when this monster's going to leap out you might be playing a game and someone or you might be telling a story someone randomly just tells you this tells you a story about a dinosaur leg and a guy getting stuck in it and you just were not expecting that to trigger you but it did mm-hmm. um, you can either say oh crap that monster's still here like i'm obviously failing in my reprogramming in my brain or you know i'm 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 clearly not strong enough for this oh, i've i've fallen back into or you just accept it and you say oh, yeah, that's that's just something my mind does. It kind of throws that at me. And um, it's just a thought. You know, it's it's me thinking about something bad. It doesn't necessarily, it's just what I'm focusing on. And I'll just label that thought and kind of just and just gently put it to the side and think about the other thing I'm doing. And it's like dropping the rope from struggling with this monster and just learning to say, oh, well, the monster is there. And so I don't know whether or not that is a, well, I I suppose for me, I find that a helpful way of doing it because some of the things that disturb me are things like death. (laughs) Like that's the one of the reasons why I'm into horror because it helps me deal with death. Um, And the problem with that topic is, you know, I can't, I've got friends, for example, who their issue is they think everybody hates them Mm. and, you know, and, and they'll go to parties or they'll, you know, just they'll be with friends or something and they'll come back and they'll just say like i know i know they all hate me i know they were only pretending they weren't really laughing at my jokes they don't want me to be in that group you know and i and my heart goes out to them because i know that's not true but it's easy for me to say that because i've got the distance from that sort of thinking Mm. and so with that person you can understand yeah there's uh it'd be good to try and get a person to, if they could to think a different way, because what they're thinking isn't real. Hmm. But there are other topics. Like for me, if I'm worried about death, well, I I can't say like, oh, I'm, b- I'm a bit stressed about illness and death. You know, somebody else can't say to me, it's like, don't worry, that's not real. You know, <laughs> well, don't worry. That's that, you know, that's just your thought that that's just, you've stressed about something, but it's fine. Actually, that's, that's, that's going to get more real. In my life, the older I get, and mm. friends dying, and all that sort of stuff. So, actually, that's when you want to ex- you want to have a level of accepting the darkness um, and learning to live with the darkness. And this is where, you know, in a way, it prompts me to want to be the top, like a a bit more brave, mm. and to say, okay, yeah. So let's say we're playing a game and we're gonna do something, and they've told me that's scary. That's but actually. Maybe, maybe i will dive into it even though mm-hmm. it's stressful because i want to try and face it i, I don't know I, I guess it depends on how you want to picture your life um as a tragedy or you know to sound conceited but as a kind of hero's journey <laughs> <laughs> like you can you can view your life in those two ways and the same circumstances can be there like stresses and horrible and mm-hmm. setbacks and stuff but I think for me, it's like the, the hero's journey thing inspires me. Cause I think, well, all the best adventures are scary. And so therefore, if I want my life to be a bit adventurous, I should expect them to be villains and I should expect there to be pitfalls. Um, that doesn't make the pitfalls fun, but it gives them a different perspective than I am at the mercy of a cruel universe and I'm rubbish and pathetic and, this is what i deserve you know it's it's a different setup, but that's easy for me to say uh because not everyone thinks that way
0: peter laws thanks very very much for your time hope you've enjoyed it
1: yeah i have it's a bit off we get into some uh some depth eh?
0: we are but no thanks so much for coming on and talking about this i just conscious of time so cool good night
1: oh thank you good night <laughs>
0: Big thanks to Peter Laws for talking to me again, and I hope that you found it interesting or useful. If you want to hear more from Peter, check out his Creepy Cove Community Church podcast at creepycove.com. I'll stick the link in the show notes. Presented in the style of a church service, his immersive, horror-themed podcast shares spiritual insights, comedy, and strange church music direct from Creepy Cove. A mysterious haunted fishing town by the sea, where every horror movie happened for real. Think of it as a safe place to encourage you, only with monsters and stuff. As ever, if you have questions, please drop me a message via anchor.fm slash rpgrescue or email your sound recording directly to hello at com And that's it. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. Thank you for listening. Game on!